Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, once again, we ask that you would help us as we study your word. And Lord, the subject is worship. And Lord, you are just so uh, interested, so careful, so much in your word about how we should approach and how we should worship. We ask you to teach us from your word that we may live and that our worship would be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated and just give you a little bit of news. All right. And we are studying and trying to learn about worship. And this is our fourth in in this, or fifth actually, in this study. And... Um, just a few ideas, uh, the, I mean, a few definitions as we get started. Uh, the Oxford English Dictionary says to honor or revere as a supernatural being or power or as a holy thing to regard or approach with veneration, to adore with appropriate acts, rites, or ceremonies. And uh, that is the textbook Definition. I like the working definition of, of worship is this, is being pressed down as I am grappling with the greatness and goodness of God. That's why the word worship means to kneel, to bow down. And if you really think, if you really try to understand who God is, what happens? It's like grabbing something that's too heavy to lift. It's going to press you. And, and that's what we need. Uh, another working definition is this. The humbling of self to exalt something else or another. And uh, really, uh, that, that bites into what most people do when they worship. Um, have you ever seen some, uh, I mean, they, they come out with these basketball shoes and they, you can like see them at the back of an auditorium with the lights off. I mean, have you ever seen those things, uh, they're walking down the street and all you see is a pair of shoes and this, and then all of a sudden you begin to, oh, there's actually someone in those unbelievably obnoxious looking things. I, I mean, I saw one that was blaze yellow with reflective stripes on it. And, and I've been told I don't follow this stuff. I am not a man of uh, style in the moment here. It just is, does not appeal to me. But yeah, those are Jordans. Okay, tell me something else I don't care about. Um, but, but you don't understand. Those are $130 shoes. And I'm going, if I were that dumb, I wouldn't be telling anybody about it. To spend all that. And then I found out that they actually have basketball shoes that are like three and $400 for a pair of shoes because it has somebody's name on it. Now, you talk about somebody... Humbling themselves to exalt another. Spending $300 on a pair of shoes because they have some genetic freak 
uh, he won the genetic lottery and he can play basketball, uh, isn't that humbling yourself and making yourself look silly to exalt someone else or something else? How many people do all the craziest things? I mean, it used to be, what, how many different uh, shades of fluorescent color you could dye your hair at the same time? Does anybody remember that fad that was passing? Every once in a while, you'll, you'll see someone that's still reliving the, the old days. And, and uh, what are they doing? They're trying to exalt something, a cause, a lifestyle. They want you to stare at them. And it gets more and more ridiculous as life goes on now, doesn't it? Worship. When you put posters of people on your wall and you look at them and continually uh, adore them or say, I'm going to be like that when I grow up. That's worship. I can tell you from having talked to people who lived in those days because I wasn't around in the 50s, um, but in our churches, our churches that were like this church, You know who the heroes were in the 50s? It was the missionaries. It was the evangelists and pastors. Those were the people that the children in the church said, I want to be like that someday. And is it not amazing that in the 60s and early 70s, we had the greatest growth in the independent Baptist circles in American history. If you went into any average-sized town or city in the mid-70s in this country and asked what the largest church was in town, chances are it was a Baptist church, with the exception of the Northeast, of course. And... uh, That's not necessarily true anymore. Because I remember this in the 70s. You know who the heroes were when I was growing up? It was the Christian businessman who bought uniforms for the Christian school baseball team or football team. And it was the youth director who would take the pastor to task for not allowing you to do outrageous youth events. And those became the heroes. And you can see the result. Weak churches and people not. You see, the reason I bring this up is we, we need to understand that there are some results that happen when we worship. What is the chief thing that we are after? Why why do we worship God? I mean, we understand that 
Worship, another definition of worship, if we wanted to put this out, is the natural response of the createe, of the created being toward the creator. It should be. Because as we look at the creator and understand who he is, the only thing we can do is fall upon our face and worship him. Amen? But... Uh, I think I was reading a, a, a book and it said, uh, uh, attributed this quote to A.W. Tozer. He said, if we have found a people group on the face of this earth, and what he's talking about is the aborigines and the uh, tribal worship and all of this stuff, that does not have worship, I've not heard about it. You see... Every people group, every tribe, every kindred in the history of mankind has been involved in some type of worship. And uh, people want to talk about Stonehenge and the great, uh, the pyramids in Egypt and all of these great built. Why were they built? They were built because they were part of the worship system of these ancient people. And some of this stuff was really horrible. Human sacrifice and immorality beyond even the most depraved minds that live in our city today. But it was all part of this thing called worship. Now, what are we trying to get when we worship? Why do we worship other than the natural response? What would be the greatest thing that you could have in your life? Those two questions have the same answer. We worship God so that we could have his favor in his presence. What would be the greatest thing that you could have in your life? Would it not be? The presence of God, the favor of God upon your life, His blessings upon your life. As you read through the Bible and the struggle that the children of Israel, and of course even back before the children of Israel, we had Abraham and and the struggles that each one of those people had in this thing called worship. What were they striving for? What are the blessings that God brought to these people? Of course, the greatest, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. What could be, what, what, Jesus was the one that said, what does the prophet of man, if he gained the whole world, lose his own soul? But Israel, when they worshiped God, when they followed the Bible, what did they have? They had peace. They had protection. Uh, they had the blessings of the harvest. Uh, they had families and, and, and they grew and they multiplied and God blessed them in their land. And when they disobeyed God and worshipped Him incorrectly, bad things happened, did they not? I mean, read the book of Judges as they just went up and down. 
we're going to come back and we're going to worship the Lord, and then we're not going to worship the Lord. Of course, the greatest blessings, and we read about this in the Bible, when you worship God and are right with God, what does the writer, the author of Philippians tell us? The peace of God that passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. How many of you could use a little bit more of that peace of God? A little more of that keeping of your heart and of your mind? Amen? Uh, we could we could all use a little bit more of that, and and that is gained only the only place you get that or have the opportunity to have that in your life is through a proper worship toward God. Could we say Amen to that? Would we agree with that? And, and that the, all those definitions fit there. The humbling of ourselves. Do you realize that when you come to a church service, you are humbling yourself to be obedient to the things that are here? Because why? It's the set time of the church. I'm going to rearrange my schedule so I can be where I'm supposed to be when I'm supposed to be there. Because I want to honor the Lord with my presence in church. It's just that simple. And that's not the only thing that we should do. But that, that is something there. As we contemplate the things that are in this book... And I try to be very careful. I want the sermons to be understandable. But I also want there to be enough there that you go away going, Wow, i got to think about this. I, I, I want God's Word to, uh, as one person put it, we want to make your brain sweat just a little bit. Why? Because He wants you to work. Because that working... That thought process is what will bring us to worship. Amen? It's being pressed because if we could really grasp who God is, what was Peter's response? Luke chapter 5, the first time they caught all those fish after fishing all night and catching nothing. He fell down at Jesus' knees and says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. You know what Peter was saying? Lord, you don't want me. I am so messed up. You, you, you've got to have someone who's better than me. And the Lord knew who he wanted. And I don't know a preacher worth his salt that doesn't feel the same way. Or a Christian that's serving God that doesn't feel the same way. That's the attitude of worship. And it's okay to think less of yourself as long as you are thinking more 
of God. There's a connection there. You see, the world would just have you beat yourself up so that you can feel better about suffering for the things that you've done. You know, that's dumber than a box of rocks. And we're talking about gravel, not <laughs> not valuable rocks, by the way. Uh, it's just dumb. But the world does that. Because the world must short-circuit worship. That's the devil's main goal. Is as long as you think less of yourself and you don't attach that to thinking more of God, it will lead you to despair, now won't it? It will discourage you. Well, let me ask you a question. When is the last time... You ever measured up? Oh, I got only hundreds in school. Well, my hat is off to you, and I'm not even wearing one. Amen? But it doesn't take long to meet someone who is smarter than you are. Right? There's nothing you can congratulate yourself on. We, we live in a world where everyone is so busy patting themselves on the back that they have no effort left over to worship God. And the devil's happy. He's pleased. Now, we want to worship God. Amen? We want to do it properly. We want to do it God's way. And, and tonight... Uh, I know we've spent a little bit of time here, but we we must. I, I want want to just set up a good foundation for moving to this thing because without the priest, you have no worship. The priest is the one who has contact with God. Is that not correct? And, and God in the Old Testament tabernacle set this thing up of a priesthood. And, uh, and this priesthood is to teach us about how we should approach and worship God. Now, let's turn to Exodus chapter 29. Exodus chapter 29. And I just want to read a verse out of Exodus to you. In Exodus 19, it says, And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. God is telling Moses that he is supposed to explain to the children of Israel that God wants them to be a kingdom of priests. Now, did that ever happen? No, it didn't. Because of the disobedience of the children of Israel. So therefore, God took Aaron and his sons after him to be the priest for the nation of Israel. And here in Exodus chapter 29, we have verse 1, And this is the thing that thou shalt do unto them to hallow them to minister unto me, 
in the priest's office. And so, then it goes through all of the requirements here. And there were sacrifices that had to be offered on certain days. And uh, let's just skip down to verse uh, 35, if you would. And this, and thus shalt thou do unto Aaron and to his sons, according to all the things which I have commanded these seven days, shalt thou consecrate them, and thou shalt offer every day a bullock for a sin offering for atonement, and thou shalt cleanse the altar when thou hast made atonement for it, and thou shalt anoint it to sanctify it seven days. Thou shalt make an atonement for the altar to sanctify it, and it shall be an altar most holy. Whatsoever toucheth the altar shall be holy. Down to verse 42. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord, where I meet with you to speak there unto thee. And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. And I will sanctify the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, and I will sanctify both Aaron and his sons to minister to me in the priest's office And I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God that brought them forth out of the land of Egypt that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So here we see the purpose of worship was that God might dwell among the children of Israel. And when he did... They had protection, didn't they? They had blessing. They had safety. They had all the things that they desired. And when they didn't, they lost all those blessings. They lost that fellowship. They lost those things. And, and, and should we not be very careful here, we want you to understand that... Um, Daniel, in his adult life, never offered a sacrifice in the temple at Jerusalem because there was no temple. It had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. Are we going to see Daniel in heaven? Absolutely. The Bible tells us so. So, don't run afield. There are those that teach that the actual sacrifices here saved people. The Bible teaches us one thing. Faith is obedience to the revealed Word of God. Amen? And faith saves you. Adam and Eve, if they lived by faith, they dressed and kept the garden. When they disobeyed God, they were removed out of the garden, weren't they? And... Noah, by faith, what did he do? He built an ark. How many of you would like to be in Noah's place? 120 years building a boat. But that was by faith. Amen? And this idea of a priesthood was introduced in the law. And all of these things had to be carried out, and the priest had to be consecrated seven days before he could serve. Later, David would divide the priesthood up into 
24 courses, two for each month. And they had to be consecrated seven days before they could begin their service. And so every year, that course of the priest would be three weeks in the city of Jerusalem. One week to be consecrated, two weeks to serve, and then they would go back to their uh, uh, home and raise their crops and provide for their family. And... The priesthood was Aaron and his sons. Now, what I want us to do is go to 2 Samuel chapter 6 and uh, just look at a few things here. 2 Samuel chapter 6. Now, David is the king. And David is trying to lead Israel to follow God once again because they did not seek God. And uh, during the reign of Saul, Saul had no desire to do that. And we, we start here in, <coughs> excuse me, in verse 1. Again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from ba- Baal of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. Now, how many of you have been in Sunday school and you've heard the story that happens here? Just raise your hand so so I know. You've been in Sunday school, you know the story. Uh, That's the better part of us. Uh, They put the ark on a cart. Now, where had they gotten that idea from? Well, that's how the Philistines in uh, the last battle there in the book of Judges, that's how the Philistines had sent the ark back from the land of the Philistines. They put it on a cart and they said, if, if this really, all these plagues and things that have happened to us, it says we're going to put two mother cows there, milk kind that have a young calf that they're feeding, and we're going to take the calves away from the mothers. Now, if you know anything about cows and calves, uh, Mama has an attachment for her baby calf, and she knows that ball or cry that that little calf gives, and she will step on you if you make her little calf cry. Don't do that. It's a dangerous thing. Well, they took these two mama cows and took the baby calves away, and they're there screaming. Little calves, they make the most pitiful noise. It just sounds like somebody's got a rope around them and beating them to half to death, and they're just hungry. And they were there screaming, and the mama cows walked right away from them. Never looked back. That was not natural. And they walked straight line right up to the land of Judah and stopped. There was probably an angel leading those mama cows right where they needed to be because God wanted the ark back in the land of Israel. And so David put the ark on a cart. And they got to the threshing floor of... of um, sorry, forgot the name here. Um, the threshing floor of Nashon. 
Now, you remember the threshing floor was a stone that had been smoothed off so that the wheat or the rice or whatever grain, barley, rye that they were raising could be threshed out, could be rolled out of the husk. And so it was a very smooth place. Well, the oxen, they're great on soft earth. In fact, oxen are great in deep mud. They will go places our modern tanks could hardly go. Uh, But smooth and hard and paved, oxen don't do very well. And the oxen stumbled and shook the cart. And could I challenge you? The ark of God could not fall off the cart. That, That just could not be allowed to happen. But Uzzah died because he touched the ark. And here's David's testimony. I'll just read you the verse out of 1 Chronicles chapter 15, 13. David is talking to the priests, the sons of Aaron, that were alive in his day. For because ye did it not at the first, consecrate themselves... The Lord our God made a breach upon us, for we sought him not after the due order. David said, listen, I've studied this thing. I was trying to figure out why God did not bless our efforts. And I realized the reason God refused to bless our efforts, even though our goal was to bring the ark back to a place of of, of special uh, uh, preeminence of being put forth so people could worship God the right way, David's heart was exactly where God's was. But he didn't do it right. And Uzzah died. Because then David goes back to the priest and said, listen, none are to carry the ark but the priests of God, the sons of Aaron, and they're to carry it upon their shoulders. Four, four men are to carry that ark, one on each end of each pole. And they are to bear that load uh, there, and they are to carry it carefully and to make sure that the ark is treated the way God said so. They did it again. They did it the right way. And God blessed what they did. Amen? You know, there's an awful lot with worship that is not after due order. And we must be careful about that. If, if we're going to have those blessings, if we're going to enjoy those things, and, and the priests are God's chosen people to carry forth this thing called worship. The priest had several jobs. They had to offer all of the sacrifices that the people brought. They had to offer the daily sacrifices. The high priest alone was charged with the sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. Only he could carry out certain rituals that were there, the sprinkling of the blood on the mercy seat and Others had to take the body of the bullock and then of the baby goat and 
and burn them without the camp where the uh, uh, and the other and someone else, a strong young man, was said was to take the scapegoat or the one that was to be let go in the wilderness, and he had to run out away from civilization and let that goat go in the wild, and that was part of God's ceremony and the way God charged and. You read these things, and uh, we won't take a lot of time tonight, but in Numbers chapter 16, we have another invasion on the priesthood, the sons of Korah. Now, the sons of Korah were the Levites. It was their job to take down the curtains, to take apart the tabernacle. They had carts, the Bible says, to carry that load that they were supposed to carry. All of the pieces, the curtains that went around, the, the curtain that separated the tabernacle from the children of Israel, that was 150 feet long on two sides and 50 feet across on the other two sides. A huge rectangle and a very <clears throat> small area there was the tabernacle and, and the altar and all of those things were to be carried by the sons of Korah. But in Acts chapter, I mean, Numbers chapter 16, they wanted the priesthood too. You see, they looked at Moses and they said, You take too much upon you. You're not the only one God has ever spoken to. Now, was that true? Absolutely. God had spoken to many other men. But who was he speaking through now? You see, that was the problem, wasn't it? How many of you know what happened? 250 men of the sons of Korah, they were dressed in the basic garment of the priest, the ephod, just a, a loose white garment. And they all died by fire from coming out from before the Lord. Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Reuben, that rebelled against the Lord. Do you remember what happened to them? The earth opened its mouth and swallowed them alive right down to the pit, the Bible says. Terrifying. How many of you remember what happened the next morning? Everybody went home and they started thinking about all those people that died that day. And they came back to Moses the next day and said, You've killed the people of the Lord. And Moses and Aaron fell on their face. And people just started dropping dead. And Moses looked at Aaron and said, Take a censer and put incense. And run out in front of the dead. And offer that incense as an offering, as an act of worship to God. So that his judgment will stop. You read Numbers chapter 16, long chapter. And it says that Aaron stood between the living and the dead. And then he returned to the tabernacle and nobody died. The plague had stayed. You see, 
Let me ask you a question. Are people any more rebellious today against the things of God than they were in Moses' day? I would say people are people. And God put these stories in there to help us understand something, how serious this thing of being called to the priesthood. They took the censers that the men, they were just little brass uh, buckets, actually. It had a lid on them. And they would put coals in that censer and incense in there. And that was to be offered to the Lord. And uh, they took those censers, 250 of them, and they beat them into brass plates. And they wrote the story of Numbers chapter 16 on those plates and they tacked them to the brazen altar that every man in Israel had to come to to offer sacrifices. So as you were offering your sacrifice, if you were a man of Israel, you would stand there and while you're waiting for the priest to cut the animal up and, and the burning of your sacrifice, naturally, what are you going to do? You're going to read. Right there it is. Plain Hebrew. And they would read the story and they would understand that no one but Aaron and his sons were allowed to approach a holy God. If you were going to speak to the God of Israel, you were going to do so through Aaron and his sons. If you were going to worship the God of Israel, you were going to do so through Aaron's and his sons in generation, Aaron had some pretty rotten sons, grandsons, great-grandsons. Read this Bible story. But they were chosen. Now, I want you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 1, if you would. Verse 4, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come. And from the seven spirits which are before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Verse 6, and hath made us kings. What's those next two words? And priests. Unto our God and His Father, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Turn a couple pages, if you would, to Revelation chapter 5. And verse 9. It says, and they sung a new song. These are those that are gathered around the throne as Jesus takes the book out of the hand of him that sits upon the throne. And they sung a new song saying, thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And hast made us unto our God kings. What's the next two words? And priest, and we shall reign on the earth. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 20 and verse 6. 
Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be what? Priest of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Here's the point that I'm trying to make tonight. In the Old Testament, only the priest could approach God. If you were not a direct descendant of Aaron, you were not a priest. And those that tried to enter the priesthood and do the duties of the priest, and by no means were we exhaustive in our coverage of that, they put the ark on the cart where the priest should have been carrying it, the sons of Korah, who were the Levites, the porters, we would say, of, of the house of God, wanted the priesthood and 250 of their leaders died. And, and all of those terrible things happened. King Uzziah had leprosy till the day he died because he wanted to offer incense in the temple. You see, being a priest is a grave and solemn responsibility. It makes you a leader in worship. Now the priests all answer to the high priest. In the beginning it was Aaron. Later it would be his sons and his grandsons. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. That's 1 Timothy 2.5. Hebrews 9.11 says, But Christ, being come an high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, verse 25 says, Nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 21. Having an high priest over the house of God. See, we have an order here. And we as Baptists, uh, and we, we believe what the Bible says, we call this doctrine the priesthood of the believer. Somebody was just asking the other day, do you have priests in, in, in your church? And we're trying to explain that in the common sense of the word priest, we have no priest. Because every believer in Jesus Christ has direct access to God. We're talking about worship now. Each believer in Jesus Christ is a priest. We are to be actively participating in worship. You see, they have this new, <clears throat> they call it praise and worship. Uh, I, I don't know what to call it because that's not the proper terminology. It's going to the world and getting worldly music and trying to get people to whatever they do. 
I, I would think that, I would hope by our study tonight that you understand that God wants things specifically designed for himself. And he has specifically designed every believer to be a priest, to worship him. And we, as individuals, when we come together as a church, we need to prepare ourselves to worship Christ. To lift Him up. To humble ourselves that He might be exalted. Now, if they can go out and spend $300 on a pair of tennis shoes to glorify some worthless piece of human depravity called a basketball player. And we're not, I'm not talking about an offering here. I'm talking about the level of devotion. Could we take a few moments out of our busy schedules before we come to church on Sunday morning, between now and Sunday morning, to ask God, to prepare us, to prepare ourselves. How I many of you love those songs? Man, that was, that was just a great list of songs tonight. How could you get a better list of songs to prepare for this message? I mean, that last one, I, I love that song. I would be like Jesus. That's, that's exactly, the Bible tells us that God wants to conform us into the image of His Son. Why? Because he wants the world to see him. Worship. Amen? And so, we need to pray about this. We need to seek God. Because I'll tell you something. We are facing opposition. When Israel worshipped God correctly, God protected them when they did battle with the world and the enemies of God. Amen? If we try to protect ourselves, go back to last Sunday Sunday school with King Asa, when he tried to protect himself, you know what? He got the job done, but he lost the blessings of God. Don't want to be there. Don't want to be that guy. Do you? Hello? Come on, we're almost done. You see, we need to, as individuals, ask God to prepare our hearts so that when we come together on a Sunday morning, each believer here can be an active participant in worship of God. We have yet 
to experience a service where every member was actively participating in worship. You want feelings? You want experience? You want something that will make you excited about church and what's going Let me tell you something. You get close to God and there will be more excitement than you can stand. Amen? Could we pray about that? Could we ask God? Get on your knees before you come to church. Amen? Humble yourself before the Lord before. And when we come and have a service, not only will we see what is happening, will be one of the reasons. And if you want excitement in your Christian life, that's where you're going to get it. And all God's people said, Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. Once again, Lord, is there any way sinful man can truly worship our Creator? And your word says yes. And so, Lord, we ask that you would work, that we would diligently pray and seek and ask that the Holy Spirit would have the freedom to do what needs to be done in our hearts and lives so that when Sunday morning rolls around, we would be ready to worship you. Before we finish that prayer, we'll have the piano play. If you just need to slip out of your seat and you'd like to just pray about some things, the altar's open.